for a, a base and an understanding of what we stand for as Christians. Not just stand for it. Now, let me explain something here. Because, you know, uh, Jesse, I think you mentioned it. Uh, don't, don't just be a hero of the word, but be a doer also. And so we've been commissioned to do the things of God. Not just hear them. Not just listen to it. That, that sounds good. But we've been commissioned to do it. Now, when this, when these scriptures begin to come to me and they begin to kind of, I begin to kind of see in my, in my mind's eye, my spiritual eye, how this thing was going to kind of unfold, I kind of sunk a little bit. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I kind of sunk and I was like, because oh. I knew, I knew that this was speaking to me directly and that, that I was being commissioned to practice and not just hear something, but to practice it also. So here we are in a very familiar set of scriptures in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And it said, I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm just going to read through this, and I may stop once or twice. But I want you to listen very carefully to these scriptures. These are scriptures that we can, we can pass through pretty quick, but I just want you to listen to what it says. And it says, verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. What, we, what stood out to me, um, let me, let me explain something. What stood out to me, and you probably heard me say, mention a little bit about this Sunday morning if you were here for Sunday school. There are a lot of people prophesying a lot of things right now. And I'm not knocking that. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody. Um, there's some people that I like to listen to. I wouldn't necessarily say that it was prophecy per se, but... There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with people prophesying. But everybody seems to be prophesying today. Everybody's got a word that they're, they're throwing forth. If it's from God, fantastic. That's fantastic. I commend them. That's great. But what I want to focus in on is a very um, particular description about what God's word says about love. And he begins to get this description here, and he, and he says, if I, if I don't have love, I'm, I'm empty. I'm sounding a brass, and though I have the gift of prophecy, and, and you, think, you think prophecy, gift of prophecy, that's a big deal, right? He said, though I've got the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, interpretations, and all knowledge, and, and though I have all faith, faith is a big thing for us, right? As Christians, faith is a big thing. And though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains. Remember, if you have enough faith, you can tell the mountains would be cast into the sea, and that's where it would go. A lot of Christians are striving for that kind of faith. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with increase of faith. Nothing wrong with practitioners of faith. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what we do. We, we can't please God without faith. So... But understand, when we start talking about what's important and what, what has a, what you call it, a, what's a clout. If somebody has clout, they have uh, authority. If, somebody's cl if somebody has clout, they, they, they have something over everyone else. The description here in 1 Corinthians is that love has a lot of clout. It has a lot. So much to the fact that the, the description, I mean, if you're paying attention, he's already ruled out gift of prophecy, knowledge, faith, and mountain moving. He's like, ah, push that to the side. I mean, how many, how many of us, and I'm not done playing this because we're going to bring it all around before the end of this. How many of us have needed some mountains removed in our lives? I mean, we need, sometimes there's times when we need mountains moved. So it says here, so that so uh, you know I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and I have not love. Here's the description: I am nothing. Well, that doesn't make sense because you know I strove all that time to get all that faith. I fought for that stuff, and I fought for the you know I, I got uh, prophecy and and I, God has given me this ability to understand dreams and visions 
and I have all these things that God has given me. But the Bible tells me if I don't have this four-letter simple word, then I get identified as nothing. And the word is love. Love. So love takes me completely out of the game, so to speak. Takes me completely out of this spiritual game. If you were ranking yourself in a sort of spiritual ranking, you know, kind of like your own spiritual draft, you know, and you put yourself up here and you got, you know, you got some down here, you got some over here, and this guy's really good at this. He's a really good, he's good at prophecy. This one gives good word at this. This one does this really well. I put him at the top because he's who I like to really listen to. I got people I like to listen to. But what's interesting is, is that no matter who you are, the description uh, that the Bible gives, no matter who you are, male, female, doesn't matter, teacher or commoner, doesn't matter. In the end, if you don't have love, you ain't got nothing. Now, I could stop right there and we could just be shaken to our core right there and just throw everything else away and say, oh, hold on a second here. You just told me that I was nothing. You just said, the Bible just said that I ain't got nothing if I don't have love. Now, that ought to tell you right there before you even get into the real juicy stuff, until you actually get into the description, until you really get into the stuff that starts really defining who we are, you can stop right there and just say, whoa, I, I, can't, I can't handle no more. Because I've, I've already been upset and I'm in verse 2. I've been taken, I've been sidestepped. And I'm only in verse 2. And it says, in verse 3 says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me nothing. But I thought, I thought giving my life for my friend was the greatest gift of all. Well, the Bible says you can give your life. Go right ahead. But if you ain't got love, it wasn't worth your time. That's mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing. And it really, it really counter, it really is a counter to everything that, uh, that often in our society that people start ranking as being some of the greatest things that people could, uh, that could do. Um, uh, what's the philanthropist or philanthropy? Am I saying that correctly? Being a philanthropist or somebody that's that's a very um, a giving of their things. And they said, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Now, wouldn't that be something that you'd want to walk into heaven with? It's like, hey, you know, look at my, my uh, ledger. I fed the poor. He said, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you didn't love. None of it really profited you anything. Verse 4 gives us a description. It says that love suffers long and is kind. Now, I'm not going to stop and, and talk much about this. I need to move through it because we need to get to the main part of the text. Remember, we're laying a foundation for something here. We're obviously talking about love and the importance of it. And so it says that love suffers long and it's kind. This is love's personality. And it says that love doesn't envy and love doesn't vaunt itself and it's not puffed up and it doesn't behave itself unseemly and it seeks not things for itself and it's not easily provoked and it doesn't think about evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. That's the description of love. That's the kind of love that we should be practicing as a Christian. That's practicable stuff. Now, I don't, I don't, I've encountered them. I don't know exactly how many descriptions are there. But I think we could, if we were honest, we would say that probably a lot of times we fail at most of those. I don't know, maybe you don't. And if you don't, that's fantastic. But let's just be honest. Most of the time, some of those we fail at. Maybe even some of us miserably. Maybe some of us are passable. Maybe some of us do a great job. But it's, it goes on in verse 8. It says, love never fails. And I thought about that. And I, I've, I've covered this a lot of times. But I, I, I've never quite looked at it this way before. And I'm going to actually draw you back to that one quote right there here in just a minute. It says that love never fails. Never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Why? Why? 
why? Why why do prophecies fail? Well, prophecies fail number one is because we're 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 at work through or work through us, human, who make mistakes. And then it's fixing to actually show us something here in just a minute. But but understand something. Love in itself does not fail. It's unfailable. When used properly, it will not fail. It says they shall fail, but whether there be tongues, they shall cease, and whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, this is Jesus, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Which, obviously, when we come to see him, then we see everything clearly, right? I mean, he's, he's the full vision of everything, and we see everything clearly. Because then we get to see, we're not seeing a part anymore. So it's verse 11, he says, when I was a child... I spoke as a child and I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. See, there's something here and, and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of um maybe talk about what exactly this means. But you see more talking about the mature Christian. Remember, we're laying a foundation. We're talking about the mature Christian. What does a mature Christian look like? I can tell you assuredly, judging by the scriptures, that maturity as a Christian will have a lot of love wrapped up in it. That's what it's going to look like. We talk about, you know, uh, the fruits that you're going to bear. The Bible talks about the fruits that Christians bear. And then you're obviously looking for fruit. But no fruit is more desirable according to God's word, than to have love hanging off your tree. It's the most desirable thing to have. And, and all other things really pale in comparison to it. So when we're talking, when he says here, he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. I kind of think that's funny that he put that in there. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I grew up, I stopped doing the things that I did before. The reason that this is inserted is that maturity is directly connected to the way that you love people. That almost made me want to give up on reading. <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa, hang on a second here. Maturity as a Christian is directly connected to the way that you love people. I would say that correct love is much harder to do than just read it. Much harder. It's much more challenging. There's much more going on in, in it. And finishing this out, it says, For now we see through a glass darkly. <clears throat> but then, face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even also as I am known. And now abides... Faith, hope, and love. Now, let's just think about these three things for just a minute. I want to unpack these three things for just for, for a moment. It says, and now abides these three things. Faith, hope, faith, right? Faith, we can't please God without faith, right? You got to have faith. faith. We got to have faith to believe. We got to have faith to, to function in life. We have to have faith. Uh, to have a prayer life, we have faith uh, to believe God for things. That's very, very important stuff. And then, and then the next one, he says, in hope. And who's your hope? Jesus. All my hope is in him. Why? Because he's. It's good. Hope is. Uh, hope has to do with what's ahead of you. That's what hope is. Hope has to do with what's ahead. So when we're talking about faith and hope, those are really important issues. We talk a lot about that in Christianity. But then number three, number three is the big one because there's love. He said there's there's faith and there's hope and there's love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. love? Not faith. Not hope. But love. The greatest of these three things is love because... Love is going to be the greatest connection between your childhood as a Christian and your maturity as a Christian. 
It's the thing that's going to cover distance the quickest. It's the thing that grows you up the fastest. It's the measuring tool to really judge yourself as to whether you are truly growing in Christ or falling away. Is the way that you love. Now, I don't have time to get into all the facets of it because there's a lot of facets. We can talk about the love for a spouse. We can talk about the love uh, for children or children to their parents. We can talk about a love amongst the brothers and sisters. We can talk about a lot of facets of love. But we're going to key on in on a very particular version of this. And so tonight, as, as we, we switch gears, I want you to actually go to the book of Acts. Well, that we'll, we'll talk about Bible and love later. 
for now, I'm going to tell you what I think. And then, then we try to come back. And so, as I was, as I was studying this, God began to challenge me with these questions. Can you love somebody that doesn't vote the way that you do? Can you love them? Can you love them unconditionally? Can you still, can you still go up to them and talk to them and have a conversation with them? Can you love them like I loved you? And I said, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. But what if? What if the what if what if the church? Let's talk about this for a minute. What if the church has lost its power because we've lost our ability to love? Maybe, maybe we've taken faith and we've taken hope, and maybe somehow we've shifted those and we put them above love. And we think, well, you know, I've got to have. Well, I got to put the gas pedal on this faith. You know, I've got to put the gas pedal on this hope. Love, and we'll talk about love when this election's over. <laughs> we'll talk about love when the electoral colleges come in and we see who won. Then we'll talk about love. I'm being honest with you tonight. I know it's, I know it's some, some, some of it's sensitive to some people. I'm being honest tonight. Where's our love at? Where's our love at? Can, can we love? Let me ask you this. Can, can we love the brother and sister that sits next to us, even though we may not see eye to eye about the coronavirus? Can we love? Can we love somebody out here who has a different, varied opinion? Can we still love them? Can we still love them? The way that God would love. Because let me tell you something. And I understand that we can chalk a lot of things up. We can say tonight, we can say, well, you know what? God's turned all these people over to a reprobate mind. That's the reason that this is the way. And I, I who knows, maybe. But here's the thing. We, we, we flirt with something very dangerous when we assume that God has already dismissed people. And then what do we do? We begin to dismiss them too. We begin to throw them to the side. You say, yeah, God don't care no more. If I don't care, then I don't care. Be careful. Be careful. Because the, the God that I know is, he's, he's, uh, Misty and I were actually talking about this last time. God is in the loving business. And, you know, we might be upset because of opinions. We might be upset over ideas. We might be upset over all of these different things. But when it comes down to it, are we loving them the way God has loved us? Are we still loving? Do you know love? If you're if we're loving correctly, did you know that you're gonna forgive? You're gonna forgive. Forgiveness is right there, coupled in there with love. It's, it's the ability to forgive. And so those things have challenged me. So I'm gonna show you something tonight in scripture. And it's found in Acts, and it's a really interesting set of scriptures. I'm gonna take you to two places tonight, and, and obviously we're in 15 and verse 35. Verse 35 says this, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do or how they're doing. And Barnabas was determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, it's John Mark, and Paul thought it not good to take him with them who departed from them when Pamphylia and went not with them to work. So, so what we've got here is we've got two brothers. We've got two brothers in Christ, okay? And these two brothers have a disagreement. Now, I want to point something out about this disagreement that they have because there's a disagreement here. Now, this is not... This is not a doctrinal disagreement. This is not a doctrinal disagreement. This is what we would call a open hand disagreement. 
So what does that mean, Tanner? What does it mean? What does an open-hand disagreement mean? An open-hand disagreement, what that means is, is that this could go either way. And you think, well, wait, wait a second, though. Somebody's got to be right. No. And this is one of the problems that Christians fall into, is that we think that somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong. That's a problem. That's a problem, especially when we're dealing with imperfection and imperfect people. Are you perfect? Obviously, the answer is no. And so you, you, the people that you deal with, are they perfect? No. Your expectations might be unrealistic, but they're not perfect. So you're not perfect. They're not perfect. You got two imperfect people trying to figure things out. Well, you can you can bet there's going to be some disagreements. I said this in Sunday school that I think in the right context when things when when it comes right down to it, disagreements are healthy. There's nothing wrong with having a disagreement. And let me say this: there's nothing wrong with having a disagreement with a brother or sister in Christ. Now, there's also a set of things. That what we call non-negotiables. As Christians, we call these non-negotiables. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's non-negotiable. I'm not, we're not even talking about that. If you're, you're if you are a believer in Christ and what he did on the cross, that's that's doctrinal. I'm not even talking about that. And see, what I've noticed though is because it's easy to say, see, that's that's the absolute truth. Can we agree on that? That's the absolute truth. That means that's a close-handed conversation. There is nothing that we are going to discuss about that that's going to take us anywhere. We all agree on that. But what's interesting, though, is what we do is we take an open-handed argument. It could go either way, and we shove it in the box with something that's not arguable, like the cross. You see, there are some things that you just simply are not going to be right or wrong on. And this is exactly the spot that Paul and Barnabas were in. You say, well, how could this happen? And these are this is the old-time church. This is the, These guys right here were friends, and they were traveling together in ministry. And so Barnabas says, hey, I want to take John Mark. Paul says, hey, this guy left us before. We had some work to do. We had some things that we wanted to get done. This guy leaves. I don't trust him. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea that we take him. And it says, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sold the separate. You think, whoa, 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 man, that's not good. That's not good. Now, hold, hold on a second. Let me let me show you something here. Because if you do, if you do any kind, just a little bit, do a little bit of history. Do a little bit of studying on what happened to uh, Barnabas and uh, and John Mark. Do a little bit of studying on on what happened to uh, Paul and Silas. And you know what happened to Paul and Silas? Both of them, under the anointing, done great things. They done great things. And this is one of those times where they have a disagreement. So we got a disagreement. Did that mean that they quit church? <laughs> Did that mean that they they quit the faith? No. They said, look, we just simply don't agree. Do you want to go this way and you want to take him? Okay, fine. I can't go with you no more. My heart will not let me do that. I've got to go this way. I'll say this to everybody here and everybody online. In the right context, with love in the middle, it's okay to have a disagreement. It's okay. We, we, I, think, I think sometimes Christians have a, an unrealistic idea of what they're shooting for and, and, and if Jesse and I, if we have a disagreement, it's like, oh, oh, we're not in agreement no more. Well, it's unrealistic to think that Jesse and I is going to agree on every topic. And there are just some things that we're just going to disagree on. But we're still brothers. We're still brothers in Christ. You know what? I'm still going to worship with him. I'm going to worship with him and I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to love him the way that God has loved me. Do not allow yourself to take a, uh, allow a, dis a disagreement with someone else to offset you with them to the point where we're not loving properly. It's God's will that we love properly. I didn't say that it wasn't going to be a struggle. I didn't say that there weren't going to be times you ain't going to want to. 
Because I said, I said, this is a message that challenges me probably more than anyone that I have ever given. Because when you start looking at the true definition of love, and when I start considering my opinions and my ideas about things, I absolutely want to lose it. <laughs> I said, I, I, got, I got strong feelings about that. I got strong feelings about who I think should be elected. I got strong feelings about people in the church that do this or do that. I got strong feelings. But it doesn't really matter about that. What matters is, can you love them still? Come on. Can we still do that? Because that's what we've been called to do, is to love them. Is to love correctly and love the way that God loves us. You think, man, it's just hard, Tanner. It's hard. I just don't know. I don't know if I can do that. When I looked at, when I was looking at these scriptures and I looked at the, the disagreements, I said, these are real people. Paul, Barnabas, real people. Now, Paul, he was, um, he stood for what he believed was absolutely right. Now, you look at Paul, and Paul actually, it was, um, I can't remember if it was Barnabas or who it was. They literally had to go and, and, and really get permission from the disciples to allow him into the group because he was so hated still because of what he had done. Even in his conversion, it was hard to get him to be a part of the, the group. And so Paul was fearless. He was fearless, full of boldness. And so he finds himself in a disagreement here. And it said, and it said in, in verse 40, he says, and Paul chose Silas. He said, I got to have somebody go with me now. I want to take Silas. And he departed. And being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God, and he, Paul, went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. And we already know some of the works that Paul and Silas did. They did great things. You know, in our mind, we think we think we're right. Now, just bear with me on this. Think about this, and maybe this isn't you. But it's like, if we think we're right, we think the anointing should be on us. Oh, you're wrong. So you don't get no anointing. That's not the way God works. That's not the way God works. See, the same God of mercy, the same God of love, the same God that, that, that unconditionally welcomed us back in, that same God is the same God that's still loving on them. Same one. So, man, that anointing, you know, the anointing only goes to the one that's right. No, that's not true. Sometimes it doesn't matter if there is a right or a wrong. It just matters. All that matters is we continue to love, and there might be a difference of opinion, but that's okay. All right, let's go. Uh, last set of scriptures. Let's go to the book of Galatians. chapter 2 verse 11 now I want you to look at this this is <laughs> this is interesting now this is Paul remember we're talking about the, 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 the Galatians this is Paul writing this it says but when Peter was come to Antioch I was stood into his face. <laughs> this is Paul. He said, he said, wait a second. And I said, well, hold on a second now. Who did you say you were stood to their face? He said, the Bible says Peter. Now Peter walked with Jesus. Paul said, I was stood into his face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. See, there was this big, this big problem that was going on about whether circumcision was still required or not. And so he was upset with Peter because he said, you're showing favoritism because you're afraid that they're going to get on you about the true gospel. He said, you know 
that the circumcision is not required, but you're going to go ahead and pretend around all these other folks and, and just to please them. And this made, this made Paul mad. And he says, so I confronted him. I told him to his face. I told him. I said, you're in the wrong for doing this. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with them, so much that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation or hypocrisy. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as the Jews do? This was a doctrinal issue. This was. This was a doctrinal issue. He said, hey, no. No, you're, this is not right. This is not right. And so I don't know exactly what this looked like. I don't know what it looked like there, but he said, I confronted him to his face. I told him, I said, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now, let's talk about doctrinal issues for just a minute. Because there are some things that the word of God tells us about pulling our brother out of the fire. About, about uh, confronting those that are practicing things that are not of the word of God, but trying to make it sound as though these things are godly. These are things, church, that we have to, to recognize and realize, even though, even though you may catch somebody in a doctrinal mistake, we still got to love. We still got to love. We still got to love. I have, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not pointing anybody out. As far as television and all these things are concerned, I, I was listening the other day and I was thinking about this. We've talked a lot about where the church's role is right now in, uh, in our country and in our world. We've talked a lot about that in Rock Harbor. We've talked a lot about that. I've been hearing a lot about it on the Internet. One thing that's really standing out to me is that I still see people trying to point out someone else's faults and wrongs. I still see church fighting church. I say, well, this, this one over here, he's got it. He said this, so he's just, he's nothing. This guy's bad, and this one's bad, and this one's bad. You know what? I could spend my whole day due to media, due to media, and go all day long about how I think a lot of people on there are not doctrinally sound. Absolutely. I could spend the whole day and entertain myself. Say, you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong. And before too long, you may, you may get into this niche of not even really listening for any word. You're just trying to see if they agree with you. I want to. I want to listen. I want to see if they they agree with me. And if they don't agree with you, then you leave them a snide comment. Let me tell you where you're wrong. Let me tell you what I think. I've been guilty of these things. I've done the same thing. But listen, at the end of the day, are we loving people correctly? Is it love to want to make a point every time? And somebody does it the, the way that we don't think they should, or the way that we think they should do it? Is it always time to make a point? Is it always time to prove people wrong? It is, is, it, is it time to tell to say that these people are going to hell? Church, we're supposed to be loving people. Amen. We're supposed to be loving people. I'm not talking about not speaking the truth. I'm not talking about hiding or compromising. That's a whole nother message. That's a whole nother thing. I'm not talking about hiding the truth. <laughs> speak the truth, but speak it in love. Be okay that not everybody disagrees with you. Or I'm sorry, agrees with you. Be okay with that. Be okay. <laughs> Let me say it like this. Be okay that your spouse don't always agree with you. Be okay with that. But she don't always, she knows. She knows. She knows how I am. And I'm like, don't you think so? You think so, right? And she's like, 
I guess. And I can tell you, when the shoulders come up and she says, I guess, I've, I've, I'm, I'm wrong somewhere in there. You know, <laughs> she's got a different opinion about it. And so I'm like, you know what? It's probably a good time to go ahead and get out. <laughs> so I'm going to see myself out. We're done. We don't have to have that conversation. You, we don't always have to be right. You don't always have to be right. So remember that. And I'm encouraging you in this because if you'll, you'll think about this, there is an interesting connection between wanting to be right and how we love people. It really is. It's a really interesting thing, especially now when wanting to be right is, a, as a, a, is at an all-time high. To me, to me, in my opinion, the way I see things in our country, wanting to be right is at an all-time high. And it's almost like there's lives hanging in the balance on whether you're right or wrong. And it's like, what? What has happened? Don't forget the greatest gift is love. It beats faith. It beats hope. It beats all of them. Love. The kind of love that we've been loved with. Would you stand tonight? There's a lot of empty seats, a lot of people not being able to be here. We're going to hold them up in prayer as we were dismissing tonight. I understand that the battle is probably hotter than it's ever been in a lot of our lives. It's complicated. It's uh, diverse. There are, there are parts of this battle that we're engaged in, the spiritual war, that I actually haven't even found a words in the English language to match it, if that makes sense. And all I can say is, is and encourage you to do is to continue to pray, continue to pray your fervent prayers. If you haven't been able to find the time, find it. And as we talked about tonight, Continue to love. Love. Bring let's let's bring as a church, let's bring love back to the table again if, if we've removed it. I'm talking about us as individuals. If we if, if love hasn't been in the picture, let's bring love back into the picture again. Let's bring it back in and let's love people even if they didn't vote the way we voted. Even if they have ideas and opinions about things that we don't we don't like. And we're we're certain that it's gonna it's like, I just, I know that's going to end them the wrong way. You know what? Don't worry about it. Let's love. Let's love first. And we'll let everything else fall into place. Let's remember Pastor and, and Sister Judy. Let's remember them. Let's hold them up in prayer. So got a lot of things they're dealing with. Does anyone need prayer tonight before we uh, go into prayer? Anything you're dealing with? Go ahead, brother. You just need prayer? Okay. Let's remember Jimmy tonight. Let's remember these families. Brother Sean, let's remember Brother Sean. Hey, church, people want to be here. And, you know, there's, there's not very many of us here tonight. It's it's uh, it's a struggle right now for a lot of families. They're trying to figure things out, trying to figure out what to do. Not There are no clear answers. We know God knows. So when we come into him, we're coming into him with, with unexplainable and, and at times even unmanageable situations. So as we go to him in prayer, remember, remember to hold on to him in the days to come. And I'm talking about hold. I'm talking about an anchor down inside your soul that does not shake. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, man, I'm thinking about picking up the Bible at some point. You better be past that. And if you're if you're not, maybe maybe salvation is fleeted. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Whatever it is, get it right. Because the time is short. Now, I don't know, and I'm going to say this, and we're going to pray. A lot of people have been talking about this. A lot of people have been talking about the return of Christ. Hey, I want Christ to return just like you do. But I don't know when he's coming back. Amen. I don't know. I want him to come back. We have got to stay equipped now. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Keep your sword in your hand. Keep your shield up. 
Keep your armor on. And keep fighting. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to come in, Lord God, and, and gather together, Lord, with uh, not just with us, God, but these ones who are online tonight. Father, thank you, God, for the group faith, God, even though that we are uh, a part in that essence, Lord, we still have faith that is gathered here. Believe in you, God, for the things that, God, that we cannot handle and that we cannot manage. Father, I ask tonight, Lord, that we re-equip ourselves with love. That we re-equip ourselves with the tool of love. That we understand what correct love does. And how it enables you, Father God, to do great things. How it's the greatest gift of all we have in love. I pray that we be practitioners of this thing. And not just simply be people who hear it. Father, I know that at times it is difficult. But Father, I pray, help us to exercise our love with people that we don't want to. Father, help us to exercise this unconditional love that you've given us and shown us. Father, I pray for our pastor and his wife tonight, Lord. I pray, hold them up, strengthen them tonight. Father, I pray the anointing upon them, Lord. Father, I just pray for this congregation of Rock Harbor. Father, strengthen Rock Harbor and its congregation. Pray for Sean. I pray for all these people that couldn't be here tonight, God. They're not feeling well. They're going through things, Father God. Financial difficulties, Lord. Health difficulties, Father. Father, we cry out to you, Father God. You're the only one that can deal with these things and take care of them. Father, we put all of our faith in you. We love you tonight. We thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, God, for loving us even when we were unlovable. God, we just love you tonight. Thank you so much for this. Lord, keep us well equipped. Help us to keep our armor on, our sword up, and our shield up, and to stay vigilant and stay watchful. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys tonight. You're dismissed. Thank you.